I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week we are joined once again by birthday boy, Jack Howard. <laughs> Jack. Hello, Mark. It's your birthday. So now you got to pick up the phone. Um, how old are you, Jack? I'm, uh, I'm 16. Uh, no, I'm, I'm 29. 29. Wow. Jack, your 20s are nearly over. I know. I know. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I'm glad I'm not one of those people that is dreading 30 i'm kind of looking forward to it i feel like i'll be able to relax at 30 relax because i don't know i think there's something very turbulent about the 20s i don't know what it is and i think there's there's a phenomenon about it that i'm just getting used to now that i'm leaving my 20s the idea of rushing into life and feeling like you've got to get everything done now and figure it all out and it's, it's almost like when you're a teenager it's sort of planned for you. You go to school, you, you, you've got that to do, you hang out with your friends, you do your exams, and then you go to university. Like, you know what you're doing. And then when you yeah. get to your 20s, all of a sudden, it's like, you're an adult now, figure it out. And I think that I panicked and didn't know what to do and, and just sort of scrambled. And I thought that was a new thing because we're in the internet age and everything's so immediate now. I thought that was maybe a new phenomenon for my generation. And then I heard the Billy Joel song, Vienna, and that means an awful lot to me that, you know, the slow down, you crazy child. You're still, uh, you're so ambitious for a juvenile, but if you're so smart, then why are you still so afraid? And I was like, ah, okay. So this song was written in the seventies. I think it must be normal that I'm feeling this way. And so I think I've been slowly getting used to the fact that I'm, I'm going to, it's going to calm down and I'm going to get used to this sort of way of, do you know what I'm saying? I, 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 you know, I've got to tell you, I didn't think this conversation was going to take a Billy Neither Joel I. turn. I mean, that was, I mean, I'm, I actually, I don't know that song. I'm, I, I mean, I, I know Billy Joel's hits. But Vienna I, I don't waits know. for you. You know, you know that song? No. When you said Vienna, I just thought of Ultravox. How, and I'm, I'm not saying it's funny. Sing me a bit of Billy Joel's Vienna. <laughs> all right okay um it's a very dad thing to do you go, yeah no, it sing is. It. as it goes sing it for me i well the the, the um the chorus is very difficult to do because it's he's obviously a wonderful singer but Lee, the the goes slow down you crazy child you're so ambitious for a juvenile but if you're so smart then why are you still so afraid i'm going to play it for you that's what I've definitely never heard that before. Have you actually got it? I can't it? believe it. Yeah, it right yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's I have the ring, internet. It's not, ring, it's not ringing. Oh, you have the internet, of course you do. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, have you got it on you? Yes, I have the internet. I have everything in the whole of civilization it's from, ever. It's from The Stranger. It's from, I think it's one of his biggest albums. Yeah, I've got, got, got to also tell you, I've never bought a Billy Joel record in my life. You're going to sing it some, so much better than me. Well, he's Billy Joel, Jack. Down, you crazy child. You're so ambitious for a juvenile. But then if you're so smart, tell me, why are you still so afraid? Yeah, no, I preferred you doing it. It's, it's, it's enough. <laughs> yeah, no, no, just, I'm sorry. But that song means yeah. an awful lot to me. Um, and, oh. and helped me realise the fact that the stuff that I'm feeling in my 20s, and I think it's a very normal thing. So if you're in your 20s and you're feeling like you don't know what you're doing, that's normal. That's exactly what you should be feeling. But also don't rush. There's a big trend as well going around on this new thing called TikTok, Mark. TikTok. Where somebody, yeah, TikTok, it's you know, the TikTok. app. I mean, um, I know of it. I've not, yeah. I've not been on it. I, I, I understand. you get addicted. It, I, I understand that it was instrumental in toppling Donald Trump, but I'm not sure how. 
<laughs> that's all you care about. But there's a, there's a trend where people are asking, what's something you wish you knew in your 20s now that you're in your 30s? And a lot of the advice is just yeah. chill out, do what you want, and, and don't feel like you need to s- figure it out and know exactly what you're doing because you don't. And so that that's kind of how I'm feeling now at 29, is that I'm looking forward to 30 rather than dreading it. I mean, I've got something to tell you, Jack. I mean, I'm nearly 60. Go and you you don't you don't really figure things out much more as you go on i mean the more the, i mean i i two things i'll i'll, I'll tell you as old man advice the, the first is that in my experience life gets better mm. exponentially like you know so your 30s are better than your 20s and your 40s are better than your 30s and if and, and that has been my experience of it i think anyone who tells you that school days are the best days of your life should be locked up because right. I think it's just a completely insane thing to say. And if you if you, if your school days were the best days of your life, you just think, well, wh- well, what's the point? Well, even in um, cinema, there's like a a glorification of youth, isn't there? They're like, like it's it, there's a real like nostalgic look at yeah. things, which actually was, nicely which actually, brings us on. Well done. Here we well go. Well done. <laughs> so, from this rather lovely uh, subject, and and but sorry, but, but, but finish. My advice is everything gets better. The more you know, the better it is. And also, the more you realise that you don't know anything, but the more the more you you, you kind of learn to appreciate stuff. And I mm. would absolutely agree with you about the thing about, you know, in your 20s, just, I mean, here's the one thing I can guarantee you in your 20s, you look fantastic. You know? <laughs> it's, every, everyone I have ever met, myself included, looks back at pictures of themselves in their 20s and goes, Wow! Yeah. Wow, I looked great. <laughs> by the time you get to 60, believe me, what you look like in terms of anyway. This but is do you important. care anymore? Do I care? No, I'm married. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so all that just goes out the window. You get what you pay for. This is it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I literally, um, you know, I said I do and put on two stone like that. It was like I was two stone heavier when I came out of the. You know, it's. <laughs> I don't think people talk about that enough. The fact that <laughs> when you're married, <laughs> you well, just you, know, you put on weight. It was just you know I kind of felt like I could relax. You know, mm. I mean, I, I, I won right. I, I, I had married the woman of my dreams. So Aww. okay. And you know, and she stuck with me despite the fact that I've got exponentially larger. So, uh, so there we go. I mean, she still looks like the day I married her. Met her, you know. What it's it, it it there we are. It's just a thing, you know. Apparently, I mean, we are heading towards Valentine's Day as well. This is all thematically very like is which like leads it. us rather nicely, Jack, to the subject of this week's podcast. What is it? Well. Uh, Eliana and Heather, who work on this show, suggested that we talk about Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet because it's the 25th anniversary. Apparently. Did my heart love till now? Forswear its sight. For I never saw true beauty till this night. seen two households both alike in dignity from forth the fatal loins of these two foes where civil blood makes civil hands unclean a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life who is it that you love gentle romeo of hotas love pronounce faithfully my heart's dear love is set on the fair daughter of rich Capulet. Romeo! Thou art a villain. My only love sprung from my only hate. Romeo is Venice! What do you think about Baz Luhrmann? Are you are you a fan of, a fan of Baz Luhrmann's work? I, I am, so I'm gonna begin this by telling you my Baz Luhrmann story which is that many years ago, um, when Baz Luhrmann made a film called Australia, which then became the, 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 the subject of a joke, Australia, what all of it, which then ran and ran for years. Um, I was sent by the culture show to <clears throat> interview Baz Luhrmann in Australia about Australia. Now, if people ever say to me, have you been to Australia? I say no, because I haven't. I have actually been in Australia for 18 hours. Um, 
And what I did was I flew. You were just in buildings, right? No, I've just flew from here to Australia. I landed in Australia, in Sydney. I went out to the Fox building to see some stuff. I went to Baz Luhrmann's house. I spent five hours with Baz Luhrmann. I got in a car. I went back to the to the airport, there was a thing that happened at a, rest- at a restaurant, which I'll tell you about, and I got on a plane and I flew back. And the two the two reasons I that sits heavy with me is firstly because those five hours with Baz Luhrmann were quite m- remarkable because despite the fact that I had travelled for 25, 26 hours to get there and I was about to travel 25, 26 hours back, for the five hours that I was in his company, I felt more awake than you can imagine because he is he is like a ball of energy mm. and you know when you, you you can tell this from his movies it's just the energy just fires off him and just being in his company is quite tiring but in a it reminds very- me of um something that i've heard martin scorsese say which is that he said that directing is just trying to show an audience the way that you see the world and actually it doesn't surprise me that Baz Luhrmann is full of energy because yeah. <laughs> that is clearly how he sees the world he's not anybody who needs any more sugar in his life um <laughs> and so there was that and then the second thing was that um I on the way back so literally so 26 hours and then 18 26 hours back on the way back I got off the plane into a cab to interview Charlie Kaufman. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, we already know how you feel about him. Well, so you know, actually, I, th- I doing it with went, jet lag. I, I thought it went quite well, but then by that point, my head was kind of slightly... For what gone. film? Uh, for Synecdoche, New York. Yeah, which okay. I don't want. Yeah, yeah so, I, um, I, I only saw that when I was a teenager and I was like, oh yeah, she's buying a house that's on fire and she's doing it because she's not looking after herself and it's about how she's doing something even though she knows it's dangerous. I get it. I get it. That's how I felt about it when I saw it. Yeah, I kind of feel that. I just get, The way I feel about Synecdoche New York now is, yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, anyway, um, so I, I'm a fan of- I like of, Charlie Kaufman. I'm, you know, I also hey, like. I, I like. I'm thinking of ending things more than you do. Yeah, I know, and uh, you know, I absolutely love Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and I love being John Malkovich, and he has been involved in some films which I hold dear, and therefore the fact that he can be an ass doesn't matter because you know there are plenty of people who can make great work who can. It's also like being be... in the playground, and I don't know the other kid. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Okay, so. Anyway, um, so yes, I like Baz Luhrmann very much, and that, which was consequently why I agreed to go to the other side of the world to interview him for Australia, mm-hmm. what all of it. And the thing that I like about him, and I, this was exactly the thing that some people didn't like about him. I had been in the screening of Moulin Rouge, and um, Mark Lawson was in the screening room. And I, if I remember correctly, Mark didn't like the film because he just thought it was too much, too much, too much going on. And I remember watching it thinking, this is great. There's so much, so much, so much going on. (laughs) And I think there is a kind of frenetic energy to his filmmaking that can sometimes strike a bum note for some audiences. But if Mm -hmm. you're in the mood for Lerman, it's absolutely right. And I remember seeing Romeo and Juliet when it first came out and thinking, "If if you'd explained that movie to me, it, I would have said it would never work, as of mm. course he did. I mean, when he went to the studios and said, I'm going to do it, and they said, okay, who are you going to get to rewrite it? And he went, no, no, we're going to use the Shakespearean dialogue. And they went, what? And he went, yeah, we're going to use the Shakespearean dialogue, but, you know, modern setting. We go. They went, what? And he went, yeah, it, it, I think it's fine. You know, hundreds of years people have put up with it. I think it's absolutely fine. And I, you know, the whole story about in order to get it made, they basically, Leonardo DiCaprio basically went and videoed the whole thing in advance to show them that it would work. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah, because it was a project that he absolutely believed in. So it's, you know, he has... Yeah, you know, great credit to him for for doing. They they effectively made a version of the film in advance to show the studio to go. Look, this will work. So tell me about your experience of seeing it for the first time. Well, I don't really remember. It feels like one of those things that's always existed. Um, so I and I don't really have much memory of it. I rewatched it before this podcast, and I also uh, watched The Great Gatsby for the first time. Oh. And my opinion on both of them is kind of similar. And I'm not a big fan of Baz Luhrmann's work. I'll be honest. Um, I feel like it's 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 interesting because I can look at somebody like Zack Snyder or Michael Bay and I can go, I think that is bad filmmaking. I think that 
like oh michael bay is emphasizing everything so therefore he's emphasizing nothing and i think that's bad storytelling and bad filmmaking and with baz lerman it's like a marmite situation it just doesn't work for me i can see what he's going for and actually you just pointed out like the frenetic editing and things like that which is exciting and i would call it frantic editing that sort of put me off and i was like just chill out calm down let me just experience things sometimes the editing in in both of the films put me in mind of bohemian rhapsody like it was it felt like it was like that's like, harsh that's choose harsh. a perspective no honestly watch a scene and just click your fingers every time that the shot yeah, no, changes no, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like it, it, sometimes it was like choose a perspective to tell the scene from it felt like the, you needed to see everybody's reaction to everything in a close-up um something that i did enjoy is obviously this predates something like snatch but it like the beginning of romeo and juliet i forgot that he basically just like the gangster title cards for like who everybody is mm. and i really like the interpretation at the beginning of um essentially taking the the prologue of, of Romeo and Juliet, which obviously tells you the ending and, and you know, says like, oh, they're, they're going to die. The soliloquy, I think it's called at the beginning of, yeah. uh, of Romeo and it, Juliet. It is, it, is, it is the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. It's, you know, that's how it's going to work, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I like the interpretation that he does that, you know, on the television screen by a newscaster, but then takes that step further and shows you a trailer for the film you're about to watch. Yeah, yeah. I really, really liked that. I forgot that he did that. And that was something that I was like, that's cool. I, 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 in terms of like adapting it for, for a film, that's something that I think is like a nice adaptation. But I don't know. I, 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 there's not much in Romeo and Juliet for me. And oh, Eliana, so- before, we, <laughs> before we started this, showed us that she has these little figurines, these little pop what are they called like pop figurines of Romeo and Juliet and as soon as she showed them to me I was like oh no she's gonna be listening and I'm just gonna be like I don't really like it (laughs) it's it's I think it's fine mostly but I I I don't know like there's just nothing in it that like stands out as like oh yeah nothing that stands out I don't not really I mean okay okay okay, well what does it tickle for you (laughs) well a, a number of things firstly because um you know Romeo and Juliet has been filmed umpteen different times you know whether it's the Zeffirelli or whether it's the you know recently the Julian Fellows version in which Julian Fellows thought that he could do a better version of the Shakespeare than Shakespeare could or you know, West Side Story and you know, yeah. Abel Ferrara's China Girl. I, I interviewed Abel Ferrara once. Abel Ferrara was the guy who made uh, Driller Killer and um, and then went on to make, you know, a bunch of, you know, much more acceptable films. Although he made Pasolini recently and he's, he's always been a... But he but he made uh, China Girl, which is a kind of, you know, it's a, it's a version of Romeo and Juliet. And the studio said, do they have to die at the end? And Abel Ferrara Brilliant. said... Did you did you not graduate? <laughs> what did what happened? It's Romeo and Juliet, um, and so I think the fact that it's something that I have seen on film many many times, mm-hmm. the Lerman version was not something that I would have, would have expected. As I said, it I wouldn't have expected it to work. I mean, there's a lot of things you can break it down and go, okay, well, I love the fact that his music choices are as good as they are. I love the way in which he uses Radiohead. I love the fact that the film yeah. ends, you know, end song for a film by, by Radiohead. <laughs> um, you know, the Steen and Nornson. I, 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 I love that kind of, that jukebox sensibility about it. I love the fact that it's, tr- it's doing something that is genuinely ancient and modern together, which is bold and you wouldn't think it would work you know the rapiers and the pistols and all that stuff it, it i like that i like that's yeah. the detail i like is that all the guns have like sword names yeah. and the logos i think are swords as well it's, yeah. it's like a, it's a nice little detail i like that and and as you say that thing about you know the way in which the you know the news reading so i can imagine a kind of uh you know an avant-garde theater company doing that yeah but what's really fascinating is somebody doing it for a mainstream pop audience and i guarantee you that a huge number of people saw that film who would not have seen you who would not have had the same relationship with i mean romeo and juliet i'm sure, it was, every, I'm sure it was a lot of people's first experience of that story yeah and but 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 what a you know what a great way of of saying look this is still contemporary and current and lively i mean you know you, we, we all think of things like you know great shakespearean adaptations on screen, I mean, some of the Branners, um, I think, you know, it, they're full. I mean, I remember seeing Branners Hamlet and thinking, this is this is great. You could play this to a, you know, to to to, to school kids, and they get it as much as anybody else. It's four hours long, but it doesn't feel like it. In fact, when I was at Radio One, which was then the hip pop station, that was the you know movie of the month, and and it was it was a 
big success because of the way it looked and because of the people who were in it. Um, but I just think that there is, you know, or much ado, I think there is an energy to that film that is true to the original text, but is also playing playing to an audience who might actually be the same age as the characters are meant to be. Because, you know, generally people forget how young Romeo and Juliet are and people read it at school and it's, you know, yeah, but it's a school tech. I, I thought, I thought mm -hmm. it was, a, I thought it was a really, I mean, I, by the time I saw it, I was in my, you know, thirties or forties, whatever it was. So I, I can't say, that, you know, firsthand as a teenager, it worked for me, but I've, seen plenty of evidence that it does that it works 100 percent. and this is it is i i objectively can look at it and see that it clearly like the amount of people that i know personally who absolutely love that version of romeo and juliet and you know all, all all the success it has and and i can see it's a successful interpretation and a, a really original way of interpreting it it just didn't do anything for me like especially now because it's dated in its own way and i and it was never a big part of my childhood um in the way that it was for other people in my generation so i watch it now and i just go yeah i know what this is i'm, I'm when i was about to watch it again i remember i was like i remember it being very orange i remember <laughs> yes. there being ochre ochre <laughs> not orange ochre it's and i remember the ochre glow <laughs> and i remember the fish tank yeah and uh but you remember that because that's the that's the poster isn't it it's the poster is him oh, and it's the music the video tank. as well that somebody yeah, of course, yeah. and and also it all just makes me think of the uh the, the play in hot fuzz that they inter the, the interpretation that they do in hot fuzz is the interpretation <laughs> of baz lerman's <laughs> <laughs> romeo and juliet <laughs> oh hot fuzz is such a great film. okay so look so you watched that and you watched gatsby have yeah. you seen the jack clayton gatsby or was that the first gatsby on film you'd seen um i might have seen that one again back in school because we read the great gatsby in school and i liked yeah. the great gatsby and it actually i remember at the time remembering it was it was must have been around 2008 when i was reading it because i said it was reminding me of burn after reading which is something we've talked about on this before which is just a, a film where everybody's sleeping with each other and all these different affairs are happening and then it all blows up and my teacher was like oh interesting and i was just like nice this is uh i'm, I'm getting away with just <laughs> liking films and just relating it to the text that we're talking about but um i hadn't seen it for a long time i've been re-watching the wire for the second time and that scene in the wire when they have the conversation about what gatsby means i haven't know. seen the wire mark oh uh, well listen i mean i hadn't before i'm just starting in. the sopranos that's what yeah. i'm starting now that's yeah, my next well journey the Wire, I think, is arguably one of the greatest works of art of the last century. I mean, I just think it's just my mind has been blown. So I watched the whole thing, and now I'm watching the whole thing again. And you um, and you only watched it for the first time during lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my uh, son, you've discovered television in in lockdown. You know, yes, it was. I mean, that's that that is absolutely what happened. I discovered television in lockdown, and and my son is is a is just a huge obsessive with. It. He's watched the whole thing three or four times, and so. It, we started watching it and I just was completely gripped. And now we're going through it again because nice. watching it the second time is even better. But there is, it's interesting because there is, a, there is a whole, I won't spoil it in that case, because at some point you will see it and you will love it. But there is a, there is a whole kind of Gatsby section in that, in the prison in which it's part of the prison reading. And they, and, and it's, see the thing, I mean, Gatsby is my favorite novel of all time, which is a very, very cliched choice. You know, I mean, it really is. I know it's so, many, no, exactly. I mean, it just happens to be what I, what I would, it's the book I've read more than, I mean, I've read it more than the exorcist i mean it's shorter than the exorcist but um you know it's i i just i love that book and so any any adaptation of it um it is always for me you know how does it match up to the book and i saw the clayton when i was at school and that's you know the, the rubettes were my favorite band and you know um uh, Robert Redford with the cap and the thing. He never wears the cap in the film. He wears it in the poster, but he never wears it in the film. Not one frame in the film does he ever put that sodding cap on. So the whole the whole thing's a myth. You never actually see Robert Redford in the film with the cap on. It's just like a lie that I've been sold. <laughs> um, and so I went into the the Lerman incredibly sceptical because like, why do we need Baz Lerman 3D? What are they going to do? The bit when he shoots the lilo, the lilo's going to fly out of the swimming pool and come hurtling towards the screen. What? How is this going to work? But then you watch it and you go, oh, okay, actually, that's really good. Uh, it's it's a really interesting adaptation. And Leonardo DiCaprio, who is so great in Romeo and Juliet and has so yeah. much. He's great in everything. 
well, I don't agree with that, but I think that that my respect for him, the fact that Romeo and Juliet basically happened because he kind of, because he was willing to go out there and really work it and petition for it. And, the, you know, then when it came to taking on Gatsby, which for my money is one of the most, you know, it's it's one of the great cinema roles. And I think he does it really well. New York, 1922. The tempo of the city had changed sharply. The buildings were higher. The parties were bigger. The morals were looser and the liquor was cheaper. The restlessness approached hysteria. Shall we? Who is this Gatsby? Do you know him? War hero. Mr. Gatsby doesn't exist. Gatsby? What Gatsby? I beg your pardon, Mr. Gatsby would like to speak to you alone. Well, first of all, um, when I was watching it, my housemate, who's who's not a massive cinephile like us, he's sort of more casual. He was sat there and he went, what do you think about this contrast between the old and the new? Like, he was confused by it. And I just turned to him and went, it's Baz Luhrmann. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's what he does. <laughs> Got no end of explanation for you. Um, but when I was watching it, I found the first hour very hard to watch in a very like, I, I thought it was very, again, frantic and the transitions between the real like in-camera shots and the CGI was sometimes, it was jolting and jarring um, and just on the superficial sort of level, sometimes I was just sort of a little bit like, calm down. The same Same sort of thing in Romeo and Juliet when... I just didn't feel like I could get a grasp on what was going on because everything was just sort of happening so much so quickly. And then when it starts to settle and you start to like get into the story more about the, you know, the relationships between the characters, I settled more. But the thing I was struggling with then was I don't know who Baz Luhrmann wants me to root for. I don't know if he wants me to be on Gatsby's side and they're having this steamy little affair and it's secretive, and but I like it. Or if he wants me to think it's wrong, or and, and and actually, I came away feeling very little about it because I it didn't really I didn't really know what it wanted me to invest in. Well, I w- I would say that the key thing there is that the whole point about Gatsby is, and you say it's funny that you say like a steamy affair. the The whole point of Gatsby is Daisy isn't real. Um, mm-hmm. You know that he's not in he's not in love with Daisy. He's in love with his idea, with the idea. of Daisy. Yeah. And 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 actually, one of the things that the 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 you know the seventies version gets right is that Mia Farrow is quite annoying. Uh, Mia Farrow's Daisy is quite annoying, and when you see Daisy and you see everything that Gatsby is putting on her, you you go, but how? She's actually just quite annoying. And of course, in the seventies version, she's married to Bruce Dern, who is just brilliant, absolutely, you know, brilliant. And I think that it is true that in the in the Lerman version, the character of Daisy has more depth because I think in the in the Clayton version, the character of Daisy is completely one dimensional. But the story is still fundamentally that Gatsby is not in love with Daisy. Gatsby is in love with himself. He's in love with this idea of the past and that whole thing about, you know, you can't bring back the past. Of course you can. Of course you can. Um, I mean, I think that's. I mean, this. I'm not. I don't think I'm saying anything that's particularly insightful. I mean, everybody is kind of evident. But I quite like the fact that you came out of it not knowing who Lerman wanted you to invest in, because I think that's actually in the story. I mean, of course, the novel is very much a love story between the narrator and Gatsby, because Nick is kind of in love with Gatsby, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and the, and all the way through all that narration, it, it's it's kind of like a love letter to this figure that that Nick fell in love with and couldn't understand why Gatsby was then in, in love with and, and certainly at no point in the novel is there any sense that his relationship with Daisy is steamy. I mean it's it's just totally abstract. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, she is But the, in the in the Baz Luhrmann version they like sneak off at a party and end up making out yes, behind the, a tree. The, yes, the Lerman version kind of it, it, Toby Maguire is there. Yeah, it sort of it, it kind of picks it up a little bit. It sort of it sexes it up, but it's still it's still it. I think it makes sense that you still you still don't know how he wants you to feel about it or how he wants you to care about it. Because I think but, and I and I like that sort of stuff in stories and in film a lot, where it, it it's frustrating or or 
it, it, you feel one way and then another and you, and it's confusing in that way but here it was like it was just so confusing that i almost couldn't invest at all so i was like i was trying to pick up the pieces of what it is that he wanted me to to follow and i couldn't i couldn't grasp onto anything it all just felt a little bit um indecisive it, i didn't know whose perspective will being Jack, your room is falling down. Your birthday, your my birthday celebration, are falling off the wall. <laughs> my flimsy they birthday are literally celebration, falling off the wall. That's for so the listeners. Sad. My banner just fell that's, down behind that's me. So sad. <laughs> I'm also wearing a a, a party hat. Like, I don't know if I'm pointing this out to the listeners at all. There's balloons around me. This is this is lockdown self care. Yeah, if, you, if you're listening to this and you want to see this, you can go to our Patreon page where you can see a video of Jack in the saddest birthday party gear you've ever you. seen. It's <laughs> <laughs> you, in the middle of lockdown. I mean, everyone, the thing is, lockdown's been going on for a year, so everyone's had a birthday in the middle of it. So, you know, it's... Uh, but, okay, so... So I put balloons everywhere. So, um, so, so yeah. On a, on, a, on a wider Lerman question, have mm-hmm. you seen... Uh, did you see Australia? I imagine not. Uh, no, no, I didn't, because that was 2006. Six, I think. So it was. It was. Um, yeah, it was like just before I was starting to properly, properly get into movies. Because you got to remember, in two thousand six, I was fourteen. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And why so would a four- just- and why would a fourteen year old watch Australia? In fact, <laughs> no. I mean, it's true because one of the things about Australia was that it was not a film that was well received. Right. Um, and it was a film, they finished it and then it got really terrible previews and then they went back and they reshot it so that uh, the drover, you know, in, in one version of the film, he doesn't. And in the other version of the film, he does. And you know, it, when you see the film, it does look like... Didn't it get open. nominated for Oscars? I remember it being at the Oscars for some reason. That's like a vague... If it got nominated for Oscars, it will have been nominated only for things like, you know, best achievement in horse wrangling. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to look it up here. Um, yeah, because, I'm going to do the same. Because I don't, re- I mean, it, it got very poorly reviewed. It didn't do great box office. It was not considered to be, um, to be one of Lerman's best. But I kind of liked it, not least because I've just got a, a huge soft spot for Hugh Jackman or Hugh Jackman. got Jackson. a Teen Choice Award. He got a what? Nomination. He got te- a Teen Choice Award nomination. Yeah, but crucially, it didn't get a Teen Choice Award win. It just got a Teen <laughs> Choice Award nomination. I mean, and that is the so that's it. That's it. So it, it's a uh, it's slate was that it got a Teen Choice Award nomination. <laughs> and I think, in a nutshell, Jack, there we are. How many Oscars did it get nominated for, Jack? I don't think any. None. That would be. I don't think any. Yeah, yeah, I don't think any. It was not a film that was that was. No, it, it got best costume design. I, I it think got nominated. It got best, nominated for best costume design. So um, that was it. It, it, got, it won Best Cinematography and Best Supporting Actor at the Film Critics Circle of Australia. Yeah, okay. That's a small field. <laughs> I mean, the cinematography <laughs> is really great. You know, it is really good, but it's, it, it, you know, it's like it's like when you have festival awards and the film won Best of the Festival. You go, great, what else yeah. was on there? Oh, I see. Suddenly right. that's a huge festival here. Yeah. Yeah, generally not. But anyway, but I liked it. I enjoyed it. But then part of the reason that I enjoyed it was because I've got a fondness for, for Baz Luhrmann. And, uh, you know, I just, I like the energy of his films. I mean, I'm, I'm I, you know, I, I have disagreements with uh, with my partner about this, who doesn't feel the same way about Moulin Rouge as I do. I mean, I loved Strictly. I thought Strictly was, you know, and of course, Strictly has now become part of the national consciousness. We wouldn't have Strictly, yeah. whatever it is. Literally, now. as you were like, Strictly, I was like, what do you mean? Yeah, was, <laughs> and you know, I forgot that, for a second that it wasn't just a television that show. That it comes from Baz Luhrmann, you know, it comes mm-hmm. from Strictly Born, which is a really funny arch film at that time that, you know, that was what Australian kind of, you know, darkly satirical, humorous movies looked like. And I'm actually really looking forward to the fact that he's now going to make this, you know, Elvis and the Colonel film. And, you know, I I think that sounds, that sounds fascinating. Tom Hanks is going to play the Colonel and they're looking for a, for a, you know, an unknown to play Elvis. I don't know whether they've cast that yet. The last I heard they were still, they were still looking and, you know, that's fascinating because, I mean, I the last time I interviewed Tom Hanks and I asked him about the Colonel thing and uh, and he, he, he made the mistake of saying, yeah, well, a book by Peter Goralnik. I don't know what I said. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then we started and then I said, I'll tell you a whole bunch of stuff about Cornelius Van Hoyk. What do you want to know? Um, so I think Tom is now considering me to be his uh, his actual, you know, insider, inside track, <laughs> inside track. Well, you heard it um, here first. Heard it, yeah. But actually so, to... To bring it round to what we were talking about at the beginning, which is advice for the youth and things like that, I think the ba- the best thing that Baz Luhrmann has made is sunscreen. Oh, which is just lovely, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. lovely. 
apps and in fact funnily enough when we were talking earlier on about you know believe me you look fabulous and all that stuff that is a kind of gag which comes back to that sunscreen thing which for, for anyone who doesn't know it which i'm amazed if definitely they listen to it if you haven't heard it before or you haven't heard it for a while put it on now and listen to it it's, it's a graduation speech read over a piece of kind of you know ambient uh, dance music and it's the advice for you know people going forward and it's wear sunscreen and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff but it comes back be to, nice to your hair be nice I remember to your... that one <laughs> that's right <laughs> ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99 Wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. So generally, the 25th anniversary of Romeo and Juliet, and it's, you know, and it's Valentine's, all the rest of it, you're not a fan. I'm not really a fan, um, really. And I, and I get why people are, and I would never begrudge, I would never hear someone was a fan of Baz Luhrmann and go, oh, why? It's just not for me. It, like I say, I don't think you can be objectively, you can't objectively look at his films and go, no, this doesn't work. I think I'm just going, this, this the taste of it doesn't sit well for me. Um and also, just my final thought on Romeo and Juliet, and this probably just goes for it as a whole. Now that I'm older and I'm not sort of in this sort of uh, lustful teenage sort of mindset where I'm just excited to watch two people kiss and that means that they're in love. I was watching it and <laughs> genuinely watching it being like, these stupid fucking teenagers. Like that was li- literally like my entire mindset had shifted from this, like watching 500 Days of Summer for the first time and being like, this is just like, oh, I just imagine like the idea of being involved in this exciting new thing. And now I just look at it and go, this just looks exhausting. And you're being idiots. <laughs> Yeah, if somebody just taken him aside and said, look, grow up, grow up, he's not, he's not the right for you, she's not the right for him. Just, just, You've honestly, known each other for three days. Seriously, yeah, just grow up. You had a few nice kisses, it doesn't mean you're in love. The um, I'll leave you with this, the, the, the thing that Baz Luhrmann said to me that is, is a quote that I have repeated many times because it's, if somebody says something to me that's memorable, I just roll it out at every possible opportunity. When I was in Australia interviewing Baz Luhrmann about Australia, I'll tell you the, the, the bag story in a minute as yes, well. Yes, the whole thing. Um, uh, Baz, Baz Luhrmann said, he, I asked him, I said, look, what's this film about? Because I mean, it's basically, you know, it's like it's the Wizard of Oz and it's Gone with the Wind and it's, you know, so it's all these things and it's, you know, it's a melange of all these things. What is it about for you? And Baz Luhrmann said, well, you know, here's the interesting thing about Australia. We have more nothing than anywhere else on earth. And that's kind of what the film is about. And I just love that phrase that Australia has more nothing than anywhere else on earth. And it is true that it is still one of the very few places that you can drive for two hours and get dangerously lost. 
like in the middle of nothing for days and days and days of nothing. I suppose that you could film that. <laughs> don't well, know why. He managed to do it and he managed to make it exciting. And I'll finish this by telling you the to the, the story. So I went out with David Shulman, who was the director. Is this the restaurant story? This is the restaurant story. Have I told you this okay. before? I'm not sure. Okay, well, you know, in some podcasts, this is why I've heard this. So there's a restaurant in, so David Shulman and I, we went out, we did the thing. David, I think David had been out there for a while and we were coming back. And uh, so we'd done the film, five hours of filming with Baz Luhrmann, three different places that we that we interviewed him. And we had the bags of, of videotapes back then as they were, you know, you have to carry the bags with you because that's it. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the, those tapes are the, the documentary. And if you lose them, then everything you've spent on getting everyone out there is way. So you have to take them with you. You have to take them as hand luggage, right? You have to take them with you. And so we went back to the airport and we had like about two hours to spare before the, you know, before we were, and then we were then going to be in planes for the next 26 hours. And there is a restaurant in the middle of Sydney that's up the top of a, of a tower and it's got like a panoramic view. Okay. So we went, look, let's go. And I think David might've booked it. He said, you know, it's a quick thing, but look, we go up, you know, you can actually see all of Sydney because you've seen nothing other than a plane, a taxi, a house, a taxi, a plane. So, and we're both holding the rushes. The rushes are the tapes of the thing. Nowadays, you just upload them electronically, but back then you had to physically carry them with you. It's like the end sequence of Argo. Yeah, exactly like the end sequence of Argo. And we go, and we get into this, uh, we get the thing, and we go in this lift, and the lift goes up the tower, right? And you get to the top of the tower, and the door opens, and it's like a, it's like the post office tower, you know, it's like a round thing with a complete panorama. And the guy says, oh, you've got a table, blah, 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 lovely, thank you very much. And he sits us down at the table, and we've both got our bags of rushes, and we put the bag of the rushes down on the you know on the floor beside us and we congratulate ourselves on having done such a brilliant job and we order a bottle of wine and some food and we look down and the bag has gone it's gone like it's been nicked it's gone i mean we put it down on the floor and it's gone it's it's not there no more (laughs) it's not there and we have a complete shit fit okay like oh my you know and it's even worse, the fact that you've travelled across the world. Yeah. <laughs> so here's what happened. It's, okay. a re- it's a revolving restaurant. Brilliant. And we didn't know. And the, Brilliant. And the, and the, scene, <laughs> the scene was by the side of the table. And we both put our bags down <laughs> and the restaurant moved about 20 foot. Our bag was with somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> So you didn't know. So you, were you? You weren't spinning. We were spinning. We were. You were very, spinning, but, but you didn't know slowly, you were spinning. But no, we had no idea. I mean, by this point, we were quite tired and tipsy. I imagine. And yes, and the, and the restaurant was moving round, so the, so the bags went the other way. And I can see this. I can see Peter Sellers performing this gag. <laughs> it's the it's the it's the exercise polls from one of the Pink Panther movies. It's like, oh yeah, I remember this. I remember this. And then he jumps over the side and goes down the stairs. It's the exact same sort of physical humor <laughs> putting something on a car and then it drives away I can <sighs> you're in a slapstick movie on your own i am in australia what all of it okay. i'd like to see that version of baz Luhrmann's <laughs> australia i'd like to see baz Luhrmann direct that yeah well now you see now now you can tell why i will always have a fondness for baz Luhrmann. now um last time we were together we were mm-hmm. talk- talking about feel-good movies and we asked people to um feel good heartfelt movies just give us some suggestions for things that work for them we had loads and loads so many people tweeted us and so many people as well have said that you should definitely revisit little miss sunshine but yes a lot of people think that's a heartwarming film how did it happen how did what happen your accident uncle frank didn't really have an accident tried to kill himself why? I wanted to kill myself because I was he's very a, unhappy. A sick man. He's a sick in his head now. Richard! I don't think it's an appropriate conversation for a seven-year-old. Well, she's going to find out anyway. Okay. Why were you unhappy? I fell in love with someone <laughs> who didn't love me back. Who? One of my grad students. I was very much in love with him. Him? You fell in love with the boy? Very much so. That's silly. There's another word for it. There is a message on the machine. Something about Little Mrs. Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine? Yeah. What? Remember when 
Solid was runner-up in the regional Little Miss Sunshine. That's the girl who won had to forfeit her crown. I don't know why, something about diet pills, but anyway, now she has a place in the state contest in Redondo Beach. Okay, so the last time we were together, we were discussing feel-good movies, um, uh, you know, movies that we think were heartfelt, and we had we said, look, give us your suggestions, and we've had loads, of, I mean, loads of responses to this. So, look, here are just some of the responses that we've had to this. I'll read a few, and then you can read a few. Okay, so this is Go on ahead. Twitter. This is from Stephen. Midnight Run. I can't watch it enough. De Niro and Grodin, amazing. Agent Foster Grant, his daughter, offering him all her money. I could go on, but there's a character limit. Serrano's got the tapes. I mean, I I love I love Midnight Run. That's a I haven't seen Midnight Run. Oh. That's been on my list for a while. Oh, it's 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 just it's great. It's genuine. It's really funny. That's a very good. Tonally, movie. what's it like? Um, it's like a kind of, it's like a dark screwball comedy with Brilliant. two with two characters, um, you know, chalk and cheese characters. Uh, bound together, and uh, during the course of the journey, they reluctantly. Is it planes, trains, and automobiles, but darker? I'd never thought of it like that, but actually, now you say it, yes. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm into that. It's it, honestly, it's just gene. It is properly fun. It is properly laugh. And is it De Niro fun. before he, you know, did, oh, yeah, yeah. Did I mean, it, it was the first time I'd ever seen De Niro being funny. I mean, like properly right. funny. Yes, it's just it's. It's absolute, it's a gem. Okay, this is from Kitty Robertson. My feel-good movie, always, always and forever, is I Know Where I'm Going. <sighs> Wildly romantic and funny and magical, and without it, we wouldn't have Local Hero, which is absolutely true. Also an example of a good movie with an exclamation mark in the title. This this is because I I asked rather foolishly um, on the radio, I said, is this, is, is, are there any good movies with an exclamation mark in the title? You know, I think Australia's got an exclamation mark. Um, <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, I'll check for you now. I, I have this. It doesn't. It, it doesn't. doesn't. Why do I think it does? It kind of feels like it ought to, because it has Moulin Rouge got an exclamation mark. Australia! <laughs> you know, Great Gatsby! So you kind of feel like every Baz Luhrmann movie has probably got an exclamation mark after it. Australia ought to have a Moulin question. Rouge has got an exclamation mark. There we go. Mark that's what, that's what I'm thinking. Okay, so Moulin Rouge has got an exclamation mark. Okay, that's a great choice. Um, this is from Matt. I always enjoy Lucas Moody's Together, Tilsamans. Um, achieves the not unimpressive feat, spoilers, of making you hope a family where physical abuse has taken place can get back together again. Great use of ABBA too. Love the show. Thanks. But I mean, I remember seeing um, uh, to some, uh, uh, forget, together when it, when it was the uh, first preview screen and absolutely loving it. And then, and then wondering why Lucas Moodison never made another film like that um, because his career could took a bit of a different turn. And then this is from Linz and Dark Within. Empire Records. Ooh. Empire Records is my go-to feel-good film. It definitely has a cult following, but I'd be interested to know what Mark thinks of it, though I fear you hate it. I'll be honest with you, I don't even remember. I mean, I, I remember it, and I know that I've seen it, but I remember absolutely nothing about it. Have you seen Empire Records recently? I've never even heard of it. it I mean, it, it, it does have a kind of culty thing. Yeah, I saw it when it first came out, and I it has not troubled my mind since then so i i, I never would probably it a... like it i mean i'm just looking at the the um the poster and the and the wikipedia page yeah. empire records is a 1995 american coming of age dr- comedy drama film yeah, yeah. I, honestly but I, you I... have me a, a comedy drama coming of age like that is absolutely my jam I, i'd probably be into this i haven't seen it since i haven't seen it since then I really haven't seen it since then. Oh my lord! The film was a flop. It made only a hundred and fifty thousand dollars in its opening weekend. Yeah. that is bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> not like... to say it's not good, but it has an approval rating of twenty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It is not a very well liked film critically, but I can imagine because I I like the film Take Me Home Tonight. That's one of my like go to oh, feel good okay. films, which is a film that was made in two thousand and seven, but not released until two thousand and eleven, starring Topher Grace and Anna Faris and Chris Pratt's in it and. Um, not Josh Gad. What's his name? The the, the one who's in uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. He's a fantastic actor. I'm doing him a disservice by not remembering his name. But that film there are, was shelved. There are a lot of people in Fantastic Beasts. Dan Fogel, Beasts and Where... I think, is his name. Okay. Um, but that film is critically panned. But I just find it so charming. That's another one of those ones that I always go back to, even though I know everybody yeah. usually hates it. Okay. Now, do you have some suggestions from listeners for oh, feel-good films? I have so films? many. First of all, thank you, everybody who agrees with me on hook and we even had the screenwriter 
of Hawk tweet us I know. saying I saw. thank you for for your kind words and and it's nice to know that the the legacy lives on. It's that's I mean amazing. Just I know. Wonderful isn't, to that, know that. isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It I, is. I had a message from my friend uh, Lucy who said the screenwriter of that film is a is a friend of mine and was really quite chuffed. So oh, I'm so pleased. Well, honestly, if, if it's it's a childhood favourite of mine, and it's a little bit strange and surreal to know that the screenwriter has heard my kind thoughts on it. Uh, Kim has also said, um, "Hook is my childhood." So thank you very much, everybody. But um, somebody has said uh, their feel good film is "Fighting with My Family," which I really enjoyed when it came out. Yeah, I love that. That was a that was a really somebody weirdly. This is a controversial one. Uh, uh, Matthias, I think his name is, has said Green Book felt very wholesome. And I agree. When I saw Green Book for the first time, it was uh, early December. It was just a random preview screening. There was no buzz about it. There was no chat about it. Me and my friend Jacob went to go see it. It finished. And we looked at each other and went, that was quite nice. Wasn't that quite a nice film? And then it won Best Picture at the Oscars. And, and now I, I just, yeah, I I would, just, I would just I hate it I would, by principle. I'd just like to refer you to Simon Mayo's comment, Driving Miss Green Book. This time, yeah, absolutely. This time the racist is in the front seat. <laughs> um, my top five feel-good picks. This is from William Burnett. Uh, Babe, excellent. Mm-hmm. I'd like to remind everybody that, uh, uh, that Babe, Pig in the City was directed by... Um. Oh my! George Miller did the first. George one. Miller. Well, George yeah. Miller no, the, George Miller did. He did, did the he second sequel, one. sequel as well. Did he? He didn't. He didn't direct the first one. He directed the second one. Babe Pig in the City. Who directed as well as, the first one? So the first one was directed by Chris Noonan. I beg your pardon. So George Miller, who directed George, George Miller, Miller he, City, he did. He wrote the first one though. Yeah. Who did? Who who did Mad Max? But you yeah. know that there is another George Miller. Is there? Yes, there is. An- it's not. And I, this, is, I, this always used to get confusing. There is another filmmaker called George Miller who is not that George Miller. And and people often go, what, the guy who made Happy Feet is the same guy that made Mad Max? And you go, yeah, that is the same George Miller. But there is also there another, is also George, another Miller. George Miller. Yes. <laughs> but the one that you think might be the different George Miller, no, that is the no, same one. It is the same George Miller, yeah. So William yeah. said Babe, Scott Pilgrim, which I think is a great choice. Um, oh, yeah, Wally, that, yeah. which we spoke about before. I'm not a massive fan of Wally, but I do uh, see why people do like it. Yeah. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And then a strange one Let the Right One In. Okay, well, I love that film. I and mean, I think that's, you know, how great that they chose that role. And this is, let this me is in. what we. We spoke about last time is, yeah, I mean, we spoke about it last time that it's difficult to pick feel-good, heartwarming films because actually the context in which you see the film can change it. Because for me, as well, another one that I didn't think would be appropriate to bring up on the list, but The Silence of the Lambs is, for me, quite a comforting film because I watched it for the first time with my mum, yeah. who was like, you're going to love this. And I just associate it with that experience now. So it's quite a comforting film for me to watch, even though it's not a comforting film at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it's just your memory of of mm-hmm. your experience of seeing it. Exactly, yeah. Even though it's about a man who eats people. Okay, so I just like wears to wears skin. I just like to confirm that just so I so I'm not going crazy. So yes. So the other George Miller is yeah. the guy who directed The Man from Snowy River. And he's also a film, and he directed a film called The Aviator in 1985, but not that one. Right, and, okay. Um, uh, <laughs> the and, other George Miller directed The Other other Aviator. Yeah, yeah, and A Man from Snowy River, which is a kind of very, very well-respected film. And uh, he was born uh, he's born in Scotland. So there are two, and, and, and apparently around the time of, there was around the time of, uh, of, of Mad Max, there was a lot of, oh, that's the guy that made Mad, no, it's not. It's the guy who made The Man from Snowy River. Also, the, uh, this other George Miller, he directed, I find this so funny, The Never-Ending Story 2, The never, uh, the Next Chapter. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and here's the thing about The Never-Ending Story. It never ends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a sequel. <laughs> okay. I feel we've gone off-piste here, Jack, but I just, I just want to get, I'm kind of at the age when if I remember that there are two George Millers, then I have to go, hang on, am I just, am I just, did I just make that up? Um, uh, so now we had a couple of Patreon mentions. Have you got them, Jack? We had to cover some uh, from our Patreon uh, listeners. We got one here. I this is... I've only got tweets. Okay, this is from Ben um, on Patreon, and this says, "This might be a little embarrassing to admit, but the first thing I thought of was Shrek Two. 
I've watched it more times than I can count, and it never fails to make me smile. I don't think that's embarrassing to admit at all. Shrek 2 and actually Shrek 1, the first two Shreks, are both hilarious and actually started a trend, I think, of really using pop culture references in animated movies in a way that felt kind of fresh and original at the time. I know that Disney had flirted with it with Aladdin by getting Robin Williams to impersonate Jack Nicholson and, well, not getting him to, but letting Robin Williams just do whatever he wants. Like flirting with that idea of referencing other pop culture within it. But Shrek and Shrek 2 seem to really like go hard on that in a way that is very, very funny. And it still remains to be kind of, to feel original by them doing it, even though now, you know, the Lego movie, which I think is great, but also things like um, Wreck-It Ralph and things like that, you know, the Emoji movie are all yeah. really driving that into a place that's getting a little bit old now. Now, that was from Bex Davison. This is from Ben. Sorry for confusing the two. Hook was the first film that came to mind when I saw the heartwarming theme of this week's podcast. I very much yes. agree with Jack's sentiment. I also saw it in the cinema when it came out in 1991. I have... Been ten, I'd have must been, have been ten. 10 at the time, so I have fond memories of it. But also any of the Ardman films, absolutely, particularly the yep. two Shaw the Sheep films, which I love. Do you want to read a couple of these? Yes. Um, yeah, speaking of Ardman, Joseph O'Hara agrees, saying, uh, Chicken Ron, how is that not in the top five? Yeah, you're right, Chicken Ron is... It, there are so many people... I, I even did a, um, a separate list uh, on my YouTube channel to sort of uh, to keep the, the thing going. And people were angry at me for not mentioning Paddington. And I was like, I mentioned Paddington in the podcast. Like, I, <laughs> leave me alone. Like, yeah, there are so many, like, yeah, Chicken Run. I also think I wanted to mention some that people might not expect. But yeah, Chicken Run is, is fantastic. Um, Joseph also said Lincoln is my feel-good film. Wow. Um, which is yeah, very interesting. Again, like, it's such a strange... Okay, yeah. It's such a strange one to talk about because it seems to be so personal what people find because for me as well like comforting films are like the dark knight and blade runner 2049 and i'm not gonna lie tenet like like it's it's like sitting in something that makes me feel like i'm in my zone yeah but okay but just enjoy this but here's what's interesting so joseph o'hara says it's my feel-good film because it's about it's about a cause being triumphant over the absolute Mm. worst of human atrocities and i feel that after the last four years it's picked up new meaning and again that's kind of like yeah Watch The Dead Zone now. After mm-hmm. the last four years, The Dead Zone is a different film to the film that we saw when it came out in the 80s when some of us were born and some of us weren't. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I mean, I get, you know, I get that. I get that, you know, it's a film. But then that's like, it's like Shawshank Redemption is a feel-good film, despite the fact yeah. that there is a lot of Shawshank before the redemption. And just to bring this to a close, Jack, um, usually around this time, we'd be talking about awards. Obviously, everything has been pushed back to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, March, April. We've had the some of the Oscar shortlists disappointingly already. The Oscar shortlist for composers, guess how many women are in the shortlist of 15? I'm going to guess one. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Yep, one. In a year yeah. in which we had just numerous brilliant scores written by women, one. Yep. Anyway, um, we'll see what happens as far as the nominations are concerned. You and I will um, do a, a, a responses to the nominations when they get announced, but obviously that's going to be a, a way off. Mm-hmm. Are you feeling kind of disenfranchised? Dis- I mean, I'm a BAFTA member, so I've been BAFTA voting, right. but how are you feeling about it all? Does it all feel a little I... bit like what's going on? I feel completely out of my out of my zone. Usually around this time, very much um, in January and, and early February, I feel like I'm caught up. I know exactly what should be nominated, what will be nominated. It will be disappointing if it's not nominated. And um, this year, I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue what's going on. I don't know what films are supposed to be up for it, what should be a contender, what won't be. I know that uh, when the Golden Globes came out, Oh, they, 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 they no, didn't. Just, no, just don't even. Just don't even. I hate the guy. I mean, the, the, I, the, yeah, but I just want to just mention the fact that like they didn't, they didn't, and this is going back to television, but they didn't nominate a TV show called "I May Destroy You," which, which I is, assume you uh, haven't yeah. seen. No, of course I've seen. Okay. It. I've seen all. You've of seen it. it. It's absolutely brilliant. It's one. Of the it best is astounding. Last year we did a piece on it on uh, Kermit Mayer's Home Entertainment Service. Michaela Cole is an absolute genius, and it is one yep. of the most profound pieces of television, or indeed pieces of film I've ever seen. Yep. Exactly. It is one of the, last year. I think it was my favorite thing yeah. that was made. Yeah. I, it is. It is just incredible. Where it starts and where it ends is two different places. The amount of nuance and um, modern explana- exploration of being a millennial, a creative millennial as well, but also um, 
somebody who, who shares things on the internet and how that can feel and the the complication of cancel culture and whatever that is and and loads of things like that it's got such a nuanced approach of things like this in a really brave way that i've never seen before yeah, it's incredible um, it's incredible and it's t- incredible you're two episodes into it before you even figure out the tone of it and that's and it, that's yeah. the thing is it's kind of it's it's like this is a stupid thing so but it's like life you think you're in one movie and then you discover yep. that you're in another one and it's yep. and, you know like, and this is not a spoiler at all but uh, in one of the last episodes somebody says i thought you were writing about this and she said so did i yeah and it feels yeah. like michaela cole let herself develop it and let it go wherever it needed to go and even just simple things how it plays with narrative that you're watching something chronologically for three episodes and all of a sudden it'll just go no we're going to do an entire episode that's set 10 years ago like yeah. and it's it's just things like that that are yeah. brave ways of telling a story different ways of telling a story and it shouldn't be brave it should be allowed more often but it this just stands out yeah well, uh, above everything else i mean for me I did, you know, I didn't see, and they didn't nominate no, it here's the thing i didn't see what the globes did or didn't nominate because i could care less um as i've said a million times the globes are a boil on the ass of the entertainment industry and i feel to repeat a popular phrase you don't want to give them the oxygen of publicity or indeed the oxygen of oxygen yeah sure um you know but yeah, and then it feels like they were going like, but we nominated three women for directing. Yeah, it's right. We've yeah. Been, you know. yeah, but it doesn't feel like you're paying attention to the industry that you're supposed no, to be because reflecting. because they're not. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association, who the fuck are they? Yeah. <laughs> and you look at the list, you go, nope, never heard of any of those people. Don't give a flying fuck what any of them think about anything. These yeah. are the people who uh, nominated Burlesque because the film company flew them all to Las Vegas and introduced them to Cher. Woohoo. It's like somebody said, isn't that like buying votes? You go, no, it's not like buying votes. It's it is. buying votes. It's actually <laughs> it's not like being corrupt. It's being corrupt. They are a bunch yep. of unaccountable bozos who all they are doing is, you know, organizing a nice party for themselves. They just want to get drunk with celebs. And unfortunately, it has a poisonous effect on the rest of the I mean, all awards are inherently stupid, but none are more stupid, more corrupt, more venal, and more of a cyst um than the Golden Globes. And the sooner they all fuck the fuck off the better this i like this podcast where mark is allowed to <laughs> really let loose um but in terms of like baftas and oscars i haven't got a clue i've the, the last film that i maybe even the very last film i was able to see in the cinema before all of it shut down again was nomadland yeah. which i thought was i loved it outstanding yeah, I, loved it, yeah. I thought that francis mcdormand was i mean is it even worth saying at the moment she's gene she, she was incredible obviously but like even more so than I was expecting in a completely different way, a much quieter performance than maybe you're used to from from Frances McDormand. She's very um, expressive, but in this, she's it's much more um, cerebral and, and and subtle and quieter. And the directing by Chloe Zhao, I think it's Chloe Zhao. Chloe isn't Zhao, it? yeah, yeah, um, wonderful. And she edited it as well, and I and I love yeah. that as well because as somebody who also does that and not to the same level at all, I know that how much of editing is directing and and that i i love that she did that um for that movie and it's it just had me the entire time so i i would expect to see that on the list that's the only one that i've personally seen but also from me not to sound like a broken record i do think tenet should be in there and i don't think it will because i think it's a technical marvel first of all, but also the fact that somebody's looking at film in the way that Christopher Nolan is and going, I'm going to do this with it Mm. in a way that nobody else at his level is thinking about. And the way that he's... Like, if you can... Nobody's really as interested as I am (laughs) in this, but if you go on YouTube and look at the... There's the the sort of top down bird's eye view like maps that people have made of like here's where all the characters are people at have one far time. Too much time during lockdown. Oh mate, yeah, like ridiculous. It is ridiculous that I'm this interested in it. But if you look at it, you go, how did someone conceive of this? Where like they know that they want all these elements to happen. And then he made it happen and he made it coherent oh. and brilliant to watch. And obviously, I think that really, I think the only one that's going to get properly acknowledged is Ludwig Göransson for his wonderful pulsating score. Yeah. And I hope Hoyt van Hoyt 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 gets a nomination for the cinematography as well. Because I'm interviewing Ludwig Göransson on the Monday for the podcast. Oh, Wow. I'll say hi for Can me. I be there? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, Mark. 
You take it. It's my birthday. It's all I want. I can't believe I can't be there. That's, I mean, I'd have so much to ask and to talk about. I'd, I'd, oh, Mark, I can't believe you're breaking a, a, a little boy's dream. You're not a little boy anymore, Jack. You're nearly 30. <laughs> all right. So, look, um, time to bring this to, uh, to, a, to a close because we've been going on for much longer than we should do. Um, uh, obviously, do get in touch. Uh, if there's anything that you'd like uh, Jack and I to, to shoot the breeze about, um, you can either text, uh, you can either uh, get in touch with me text. on Twitter, which is at Kermode Movie. You can get Jack on Twitter, which is at Jack Howard, or there is at Kermode on Film. Or you can get in touch through the Patreon page, which is probably the easiest thing. And the Patreon page will also give you access to lots of videos. Like, for example, if you could have watch this this video of jack wearing a silly and, hat and be part of our little party <laughs> part of your little party and uh, it's yeah it's um mike lee could not have come up with a more a more brilliant kind of uh, uh you know dramatization <laughs> and the fact the banner fell down I know, halfway that was through. just lovely just that was absolutely lovely. The comedic timing of of just nature <laughs> yeah anyway jack has been a pleasure thanks ever so much everybody for listening usual stuff you know visit the patreon page please do um if you've enjoyed this remember to subscribe tell your friends um uh, jack what what because you now you've got a whole whole thing happening to jack just uh what what are this this thing that you've got going at the moment where should people be finding it your new project my new project yeah, your youtube oh yeah you this new thing that you're doing yeah Jack? oh wow I, I wasn't expecting to talk about it yeah i've got a new podcast called the uh, the screen test which is where i i host a show where me and uh, three other big film fans will duke it out to try and find some of the best film and television uh, ever made um and everybody brings their own uh film to fight for and i basically am the decider who gets to decide who is the winner at the end so we've done um best disaster films we've done best sci-fi we just did three episodes the other day where we covered the best tv shows of all time um and uh, the best 80s comedies things like that where can people find it jack you go to youtube.com forward slash prime video uk it's part of the amazon prime stuff um but it's it's a very like passion project show for me it's something i'm very very involved with and hopefully at some point mark will be on it i will i'm not sure when well as soon as i can actually physically get there because you need me to come to london and i'm not coming yeah we do it all socially distanced and in different places but we do it on location yeah so Um, which is fine but i live two hours away from london and i exactly and and i obviously at the moment i'm not traveling to london i'd love to be on it Mm -hmm. and i will be on it as soon as it is safe and healthy to do so but Um, yeah please check it out it's a really fun chat and there's some really good people on it as well great and uh, so i will uh, i look forward to speaking to you again in the very near future and i'll i'll say hi to 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 luddy for you I can't good. believe this. Good. I can't believe you're not letting me be part of this <laughs> with you. I'll do it. I, I'll do it for free. <laughs> yeah, that's that's somehow that's not a come on. <laughs> <God's sake. laughs> All right, thanks for listening. Keep watching this guy. Stay safe, everybody. <laughs>